This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency on Demand. I'm glad I'm mispronouncing my own podcast name. Efficiency. Efficiency. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have a wonderful guest on my podcast, though. That's more important than the name of the podcast. And I'm so, so glad I have her on this morning slash evening, because that's how it goes with time zones. And the reason why I'm so happy is because not only is she an amazing person, what she does is amazing because I follow and you know how I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tiny stalker. So I follow her for a while already. She may not know, but, <laughs> but also the way that she shares her truth is just really something that I resonate with. So please welcome Felon Satterfield to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be on here with you. <laughs> thank you. So please um, introduce yourself, just who you are, what you do, where you are. Yeah, of course. What's up, everybody? My name is Fallon Satterfield. I'm a brand content marketing and influence strategist. I own my own online digital business, and I work with service-based conscious entrepreneurs to build a standout brand position in their industry and to create content that is authentic, influential, and profitable. Um, currently, I'm living in Los Angeles. We're all over it today, right? I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California. And yeah, that's, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> I love it. Is it Mercury that it's still getting in the way? Yeah, I think so. I'll really? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit first, before we get into your story, what is this conscious marketing mm. branding that you're talking yeah. about? How does it work? Are we yeah. talking about Mercury? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, Mercury is the planet that rules communication. So I totally feel like that goes together. But um, conscious marketing is a term that I have really culminated in the online space and brought a lot of awareness to um, when it comes to getting out of this old paradigm of marketing around like pain points and desires and like creating FOMO and like scripts and templates and formats and follow what I say and blah, blah, blah. And I really have cultivated this framework of tapping into your soul and your unique personal individualized expression and building a brand from your heart center that's also empowering for other people rather than like the old school paradigm of marketing where you're like fear-based and like 
you're going to miss out on this and you're not going to get here if you don't join this thing and you can try like, you know, all these crazy things that we see. Right. Um, yeah. So I created this term and I teach from this framework called conscious marketing and vibrational content. And it's really infused with energetics, numerology, spirituality, and of course the practical natures of marketing so that people can really magnetize their brands and their online presence and their bank account. (laughs) I love that. This is so interesting because all of this fear-based marketing, hurry up, you have two minutes Mm -hmm. and 22 (laughs) seconds to go. Yeah. Or else the price is gonna triple hundred for you, and I'm like, yeah. oh gosh. And then there's an email. Oh, actually, you're so lucky. You have another two hours. Oh, guess what? <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta be kidding, cause yeah. you lying. <laughs> you lying. Lying. And for real. And it's, it never resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And so I never used these techniques. On sales calls, I always say, like, I'm not going to sell to you. Yeah. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, I have nothing to sell. If you want to join, you got to just ask. But then I may say no, because maybe I don't want you. <laughs> and right. they're like, yeah. oh. Yeah. It's totally I don't want anyone, right? Right. Right. So how did you get to, uh, first of all, to see, like, oh, well, there's something going wrong in the marketing industry, which we hopefully know <laughs> yep. that there is. Um, and then how did you start changing it for yourself? Mm, yeah. So for me, it was kind of the same thing of like being in the industry and then seeing all of this copy and pasted model of verbiage regurgitated value, like no uniqueness whatsoever. Like people just sounding the same, saying the same things. And there was no soul to it. You know what I mean? And for me, I'm a very, uh, I'm a, I'm a very highly self-aware person who is at the same time aware of my humanness and also aware of my soul at the same time simultaneously. And so being in the online space and having seen so much of this black and white business model, like regurgitated value that just made every brand seem the same and every message clash and every pain point and desire clash is like, everything's the same. It's like this ununique, untrusting presence that you get from people and it almost like makes you not want to buy from anyone right because it's like what brand do I trust does this brand actually mean what they're saying are they in integrity blah 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 like you can't even tell the difference because they just sound like everyone else and so for me it started with talking about that right like I wasn't even really teaching marketing at this point I wasn't even really like in the marketing space I was still kind of transitioning in my brand and figuring out where my uh, zone of genius was. And so when I found, like started seeing these things, I started speaking up about it and talking about it. A lot of people were like, Oh my God, I feel the same way. Like I, who you, someone had to say it, like finally people are starting to talk about it. And I really kind of, I feel like initiated this portal of this conversation in the industry to where now it's like almost a norm that people are talking about authenticity, authenticity and conscious marketing and blah, blah, blah. And it's really because I've 
feel like me and many other people who I know, like really spearheaded this movement of like talk of exposing the inauthenticity and the ingenuineness in the marketing and the coaching industry. So, yeah. Yeah. Talking about inauthenticity in the coaching industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ouch. So let's go a little bit back. I would love to know, like, where did you grow up and how was it for you, the, the whole experience of growing up and maybe how did it influence how do you do marketing right now? Mm, yeah. Oh, this is a good question. So I grew up, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, which is in the Midwest of the United States. And I, my parents were divorced before I even turned one years old. So I only really grew up being raised by my mom. And I would go visit my dad at one point in my life every other weekend before my mom kind of like uprooted me and we moved to an entirely different state, which was like eight hours driving away. And so I grew up in Indiana till about nine years old. Then I moved to the Washington, D.C. area in 2000. Ooh, 2000, it was like 2009, something like that. I can't remember the, the actual dates. But then I lived in Virginia, Northern Virginia, near Washington, D.C. for like the remainder of my life up until like a couple of years ago. But growing up, I had, I guess you could say my childhood was like super unstable. Like I had a mm -hmm. lot of... Um, issues with my parents. Like I didn't get along with my mom, my dad, he had his own thing going on. He had another family. He was remarried. Like he was, I was kind of out of sight, out of mind to my dad. And with my mom, she was so like mm, passionate about trying to raise me in the way that she wanted me to be in the world so that I didn't have to feel pain or didn't have to be unsuccessful or whatever. And so she tried to mold me into who she thought I should be or needed to be, which caused me and her to have a lot of clashing because there were so many different ideals. Like I couldn't be myself. I also had like a huge identity crisis with like who I even was in terms of like my ethnicity and like, like what, who I was allowed to be in the world. Like being LGBTQ, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in that, in that space, you know, like my mom was like very religious. So like that was mm -hmm. unacceptable. And, you know, a lot of my trauma around my childhood has to do with my sexuality and like mm -hmm. not being accepted by my mom. And even, you know, to the point where she was kicking me out, I was like staying in shelters some weekends, like she would like send me to my friend's house, send me to my dad's house, like anything to just try to punish me. And so there was this subconscious, I guess, programming that was happening on that level where I was like sort of trying to become a perfectionist in the way of like, I need to please my mom so that I can be accepted and loved and regarded by her. Right. And so like that has really carried into a lot of the work that I do in marketing now where it's like I talk about the why how perfectionism doesn't exist and how like that's not what your where your success is going to come from and then also being yourself because I was so forced to be in this box of who I thought I had to be to please my mom and to be successful that I was so 
I had so much depression when it came to being able to express myself and it took me years and I'm still working through this a lot to be able to fully express myself and to feel comfortable with like not being afraid of being written off, rejected, not enough, like to like lose something. You know what I mean? It's almost like I've, I, I, I've struggled with this fear of like, okay, if I get it wrong or if this person thinks I'm too much or not enough or whatever, then like they're just going to reinforce that feeling of, of, of me not being enough by abandoning me. And that's like one of my biggest fears. So it's something that I'm working through still. It's, constantly work that I'm sharing through my my expertise in marketing and it's definitely work that I do with my clients as well (laughs) wow thank you for sharing that it's I think it's something that probably quite a lot of people can resonate Mm -hmm. I do resonate with that a lot on a different level so definitely from the point of that I had to be very perfectionist and Mm -hmm top of everything. I have OCD. When I go mm. in a restaurant with friends, I rearrange yeah. the tables. Mm. Yeah. And, See, and they look at me strange and I'm like, yeah. don't mind me do that. Yeah. I rearrange yeah. their plates at times. Yeah. And yeah. Turn them. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you say that because since I've moved into my new apartment, I notice like, I feel like every time we, we have a level up in life, a new layer of our mm. trauma un- unveils itself. And for 100%. me, the last couple of days, and I mean, obviously we're in Mercury retrograde too. And right now mm. we're all going through a time of where our subconscious programming is like literally being revealed to us. And right now I'm currently like going through this realization that I am struggling with like some sort of like perfectionist OCD type shit where it's like, I'm trying to control things to maintain my feeling of safety and security and like it's so frustrating because sometimes you see yourself doing things and then you're like stop like why the fuck am I doing this like what the hell like stop like (laughs) but then it's like you can't like sometimes it's just like an instant like trigger and thing like that story of my life (laughs) so it's like oh my god like but at the same time like not judging yourself and being like, Oh, I need to be different or like, Oh, no one's ever going to accept me if I'm like this or whatever, but more so just giving yourself the grace and honoring that. Like, this is a real thing. Like you can't blame yourself for the things that you went through and how that trauma has like taken shape in your life. Like, obviously there's certain things that you can do, but like, it doesn't help to like judge yourself and try and perfect yourself out of that either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I love that you say that, especially because a lot of people, they have this vicious cycle of doing that, being aware Mm. of it, Mm -hmm. judging, beating themselves up for it, Mm. and then doing it even more because Mm. of that awareness. And then they go through this cycle and they just can't break it. And for me, it started because I'm born with chronic illnesses and my first years of life have been just a fight for life, literally. Yeah. And I was kind of, so the feeling that I had in my family, especially was um, not my parents, really. My parents and my sister has, have been amazing, but the, the extended family of grandparents, whatever, mm-hmm. the amount of emotional and mental abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was physically abused, but emotionally, mentally mm-hmm. was 
insane and I was always yeah. made like you shouldn't be here we would be better off without you can you just mm. be not here basically and so yeah. the burden that I was to <sighs> everyone was laying so heavy on me that the perfectionism I mean I was perfect in everything I did I mean that, that yeah but that was that was now blocking me from being super successful too because right. I try mm -hmm. to be still so perfect and I'm just not like no one ever can be perfect right, right? yeah and now I actually when I'm aware of what I do I just laugh and I'm not mm -hmm. laughing about me but yes. I'm laughing with myself because yes. I think like that's shit and yeah. it's so funny you mentioned this mercury retrograde because I threw out all of the, and I mean that I'm the biggest control freak that I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can control the world spinning. I can, <laughs> I can make it spin the other way around if I yeah. need to. I can make it flat probably if I want to. <laughs> I don't. But I threw out all the control. I threw out, mm -hmm. and if people know me, I'm the efficiency, like I'm this, literally people know me as a secret web into efficiency. Now, when I say that, that's the most vulnerable thing to say on this podcast for me today. I threw out my planner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is literally, this is, this whole planner thing, this is me. This is like, this is horrendous. This is basically like throwing out being me. I mm -hmm. threw it out. This is empty. There's nothing in here. It's, <laughs> it's, I don't know what I'm going to yep. do all day long. And yeah. this is like, what <laughs> but yeah. I'm changing it I'm not gonna be a perfectionist because yeah yeah and I was actually um listening to an audiobook today and it said something that was really profound to me and it was that we have to like compartmentalize our days into like just that day right and that's kind mm. of where you can let go of the need to control and just surrender to where you're at and lose let let go of the worry and all of the other things because when you're living in the container of just today and not tomorrow or yesterday yes. then you're able yes. to be more more at ease with everything yeah. and like again something else that you said that really resonated with me was when you see yourself doing the thing and you just have to like laugh with yourself. Like it was so yeah. funny. Like sometimes part of me feeling more comfortable in my own environment is to just like make sure everything is spotless, make sure everything is like organized in its place. And if mm -hmm. it's not organized in its place, then it's like somewhere where I can't see it, like with the door shut. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I notice sometimes when I have the thoughts coming up, about certain things, I busy myself with like cleaning or like organizing or like going through drawers and being like, oh, I can rearrange this this way or whatever. And then the awareness now that I have that like, this is not like, this is not just you doing this. Like this is you doing this for a reason. Like it's, it's almost, like I said, it's frustrating. It's painful because like you see it, you're like, what the fuck is this like who am I like I didn't even know that I was doing this like what is happening mm -hmm. and then yeah. from there like just laughing with yourself and then like trying to redirect the behavior you know but yeah 
It's amazing. <laughs> and I love that you have the self-awareness and this and this amazing processing already so early because it mm -hmm. took me, I mean, I was I was working for a really long time on that stuff already too. Yeah. It started after my cardiac arrest when I had an out-of-body experience and was clinically dead. But it wow. just took me like so long to to see all of these types of puzzle pieces and put them mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And um, also there is just such a huge stigma around mental health in mm -hmm. connection with trauma in Germany. Ooh. So I'm from Germany yeah. originally, yeah. Mm -hmm. especially in the workplace. And in the workplace, mm. there was a lot of trauma for me in different ways, like sexual harassment and all of mm. these type of things. And it's so taboo to talk about it. All you got to hear as a woman is, You're just gonna toughen up, get thicker skin, and in yep. Germany we say sharpen your elbows because yeah. <laughs> then you just punch them away. Yeah, and that's what I've done. I just had no emotions. I've suppressed everything, and so I mean, I have pretty sharp elbows to be honest. But yeah. do I want yeah. them? I don't think so. You know, like yeah. so. It's really interesting to see that, and. I lost the train of thought what I actually wanted to say, mm. but I had a question for you. So mm -hmm. wheeling a little bit back and in the honor of Pride Month, mm, yeah, I don't have Pride. my rainbow <laughs> thing here. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> but I have it in front of me. There's a lot of rainbow <laughs> colors. So I want to know, you said like you've went through this whole, <sighs> wow, you, you went through this whole like process of, going through um, your kind of identity crisis with not only your ethnicity, but also then your sexuality. And mm -hmm. then your mom was this type of person who tried to mold you into something very different, mm -hmm. which I can resonate to, with as well. I'm mm -hmm. not supposed to be where I am and what I do. So yeah. walk me through a little bit. Like when did it start and how did it look like on a daily basis mm. of what kind of challenges did you go through with that? Yeah. So oh, on a daily basis, it's going to take me back. So first of all, my mom and I, like when we first, when I was first growing up, like before I really started to come into myself, we were so close, like very close. Like I used to sleep in her bed up until I was like 10 years old, like every night, like <laughs> that was my mom, right? Like that was my person. Yeah. And then as I started to explore more of myself and middle school was really the time where I started to like figure out who I was or who I thought I was. And like I was around other people, I was being influenced by other things. And I really just started to kind of act on my impulses. And at this time I was like interested in women and like I was talking to someone um, in middle school and, you know, I started to have like inviting my friends to come sleep over or like whatever. And I wanted to close the door and like all these things. Right. And yeah. not for like anything like gross at like 10. Right. Let's just talk and like play Barbies or some shit, you know, yes. in a really, in a weird way. <laughs> the things mm -hmm. that little girls do. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> My mom, she was a very like micromanaging type of parent, right? So it was like, don't close the door. I'm turning your phone off at 10. 
she was very like active on my phone bill, like looking to see like what numbers I was calling at what time. So I had this experience of being like policed by my mom, like Mm. all the time where I was Mm -hmm. like, no, you can't do that. You have to do it this way. Like just very like, uh, how I see it coming up in my mind as a picture is like, you know, like, um, a maze and you know yep. how we go down the the part of the maze where it's closed off and you have to turn back around and go the other way and it's like this very intricate like confusing maze of like which way do I go and which way do I not it was yep. very like that's that's what's coming up when I want to describe the experience I had with my mom mm. and it was like in those times of like when I hit a brick wall, it was more so of like running straight into the brick wall and having to be like punished in some kind of way. And for me, that was like, I, my mom physically assaulted me when I was younger, whether that be like with the belt or her hands or like different things like that. I was also very like, she didn't have a regard for me to the point where like, if she was very angry at me, she's very fire sign filled. Like my mom is an Aries. Like she's the reason I have trauma around the the Zodiac sign Aries. Like anytime someone tells me they're an Aries, I'm like, fuck you. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Like, please get away from me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she's very, she was very impulsive. So like when she would get upset with me, it might've been the smallest thing that I did. Right. Like, I didn't do the dishes by the time she came home or something like that, but it would turn into a huge like thing where it was like, you got to go. Like I'm kicking you out, go pack your stuff. You are going to the shelter. My mom called the police on me a lot of times and she would call the police on me, but like tell the police I did something that I didn't do. So like there was a point in time where she would call the police like after she's like assaulted me, but then call the police and say like, my daughter is like hitting me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And how old were you by this time? I was very young, like at least between the ages of like 12 and 16. Yeah, I was super young. Um, And I experienced at least four different times that I can remember in my conscious mind of like living at a shelter with like other children, but like children who like were like, like sentenced there for crimes so like people would like I would be there and people would be like what are you here for and I'm like oh my mom just like doesn't like that I'm gay or something and like we had a huge argument and so yeah I'm here but then other kids were there for like stealing from stores or like getting sentenced like instead of like actually going to jail or like being on house arrest or something like that like I was there with like kids who were like doing like bad shit (laughs) you know what I mean and so I was there like I remember like being in the rooms like you had there was a very structured kind of policing thing there too so like you couldn't go outside and you had to stay in your room at a certain time it was kind of like a mini jail basically Mm -hmm. and I just remember like being in the room and like crying and just like wondering like why my mom wouldn't pick up the phone and like I was trying to talk to my other family members to like see if they could talk to my mom so I could go home because all I wanted to do was like take a regular shower. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to shower flip flops and shit. Like I just was so traumatized from that. And so, yeah, like it came down to like being kicked out a lot, constantly living an anxiety. Like, for example, like my mom, something that she always like ingrained in my head was like not to be lazy. Right. So like Sometimes I would have like so much like anxiety and trauma in my body to the point where like if I was at home alone 
and I heard the garage door come up and I knew she was coming inside, like I couldn't look like I was being lazy. Like, so I had to get up and like, pretend like I was like doing something like reading a book or washing dishes or like, or like not doing anything that looked like I was being lazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I had a lot of like anxiety with her because I was so afraid of being punished. She judged me for everything. Like she was so judgmental, like, like thinking like, I don't know, like it was like the way that she talked to me, you know what I mean? Like when someone talks Mm -hmm. to you, it's like almost like she looked down on me where she Mm -hmm. was like, like what, what, like, what are you doing? Like, or even when it came down to school, like if I didn't get an A on a paper, I was like, well, what did you do to not get the A? You know what I mean? And it's just like Mm -hmm. this constant, like, oh God, I got to try again, try again, try again, be perfect in this way, be perfect in that way. Like do all the things, like take the trash out, do the dishes, make sure the dogs went outside, like clean my room, like, like get straight A's. Don't go any. I don't ask to go anywhere. Don't ask to have a sleepover. Like I would even like have anxiety to ask my mom, like if I could hang out with my friends and then like, I had to like make it transactional. Right. So it's like, Oh mom, if I go hang out with my friends, like I'll do the dishes for a week. Like, so it was almost like I had to like, there was this transactional relationship with her where she was like, if I'm going to give you any type of freedom as a person or as a human to let you do what you want, you have to do something for me. Like even when it was like down to the type of clothes that I wanted to wear, if I wanted to buy a new pair of shoes, like even like going, going out, like going somewhere after school and getting like a drink or something like with my friends, like not a drink, like alcohol, but like, you know, like yeah. go to McDonald's and get a fucking drink after school. Like I would have yeah. to hide, but I didn't buy anything. Cause she was also very controlling over my money or how I was spending it. And like, being like, Oh, you're wasting your money. Like you're so naive. You're so vulnerable. You don't know how to, you don't know how to uh, spend your money. You're going to be broke. Like all, just all kinds of things. And it's just like, that's who I, I thought I was for a long time. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I became like this dependent person who depended on her and everybody else to tell me about myself. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I had no source of, of personal power. I was constantly yeah. trying to feel like I was living to please the world so that I could mm-hmm. be acknowledged in enough. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I think it's really powerful for people to hear that because if you are still in this environment or in this bubble, I want to say, of, of what you just described, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they cannot see this relationship. They cannot see this this cycle of what they're when they're in there right and how to get out so talking about how to get out when was the moment that kind of felt well first of all when did you came out to your mom that she would start treating you like this yeah Uh, maybe she maybe she had a like she had a suspicion about it or you know yeah um, it wasn't that I even got the chance to come out she had gone through my phone and wow all like text messages and she was like oh my god you're talking to a girl like and then she was like trying to like say the girl was like older than me at the time like I was underage and she the girl was like 18 she's like I'm gonna call the cops on her like that I'm like oh my god like so I like I didn't even get a chance to like say anything to her about it it was like she found out on her own by invading my privacy which I'm still trying to like accept and like not think in my head like what do you mean you were 12 years old you have no privacy 
because that's what I was told. You know what I mean? Like even if you're, if you're under, if you're underage and you're a child, you have no right to privacy. You have no right to an opinion. You have no right to like be yourself. Like you have to do everything I say. And so Mm -hmm. that was the experience that I had. So I'm still trying to like learn to like not feel like ashamed when I say like she invaded my privacy, but like technically like she invaded my privacy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Wow. So, okay. Before I ask how you, how you got out of the cycle for yourself, I want to know, um, what you think about, cause I feel like this is a big part of healing or it was for me, um, was my relationship to my mom to understand where this comes from for your mom mm-hmm. and to understand like how my mother grew up and that everything that my mother has been basically doing with me for me, um, in this relationship and there's a lot of things that kind of mirror with your mom not the physical part but a lot the controlling part the trying molding the the privacy part a little bit too Mm -hmm. so I want to know what do you think for me when I went through the healing I found out that everything that my mom was basically doing was a projection of what she went through in a different way Mm. And it was a projection of love in a very toxic way. Mm-hmm. But it was the way that she knew how to love because this is how she received love. And I could see it on her parents because her parents were the one treating me really badly. Mm. So it's literally just tripling down, uh, tri- tripping down basically, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think is that what your mom basically is doing is that a projection of her own experiences? You know, honestly, I don't know because I don't feel like I've even gotten the chance to have a deep understanding conversation with my mom to understand her childhood because Mm -hmm. I heard certain things, but I don't have like a, a puzzle You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a part of the picture that's there, but it's not completely there to the point where I can say, this is why you're this way. I don't know. Like my mom, I don't, I feel like I don't understand her. Um, I don't understand her. And I do think that she has a lack of empathy. Like she doesn't have the ability to empathize or empathize. Mm -hmm. I've never really gotten a sincere apology for her. Like I can tell or feel her sorrow, but it's like, she's so ego driven that she would never be able to be like, yeah, I was wrong. And like, this was wrong. And I should have done that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very surface level. And so I don't know. Like I genuinely feel like even now the point where I'm at, like I haven't spoken to her in months and Mm -hmm. I don't know when I will again, but yeah. I'm, I'm at a point where it's almost like, I don't even want to know, like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm just like at a point in my life right in this moment where I feel really safe with her not being in my life. Okay. That's good. So mm-hmm. I don't even know, like, it's almost like, cause I've, I had a little bit of trauma too with her mom and her sister because they mm-hmm. all are very harsh. They're all Aries. Oh my God. They're all Aries. And they're just very like hardcore to me, very stringent, very like, I remember sometimes being at the table 
at my grandmother's house. And like, if I was just bending over just a little bit, she would like make me like, tell me to sit up straight. You know what I mean? Like things like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was a very tension egg, egg shell kind of environment with all of them. It was like, they had this, this superiority complex that they were better people, better family, better this, better that. But like, they were judging everyone. Like even like being in the grocery store with my grandmother and my aunt, like they were constantly like pointing out like people in the store and like talking about them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like I was, as a kid, I just never understood. All I remember just was thinking like, they're yeah. so mean, like they're yeah. so mean. And like, mm-hmm. and then they always judged me. Cause like they were mean like that. And so the, the kids that my cousins were raised as were mean kids, like selfish, mean kids. And so I was always the kid who like, didn't want to be outside with the other kids. I wanted to be like upstairs secluded in like my room playing a video game or something like that. And I remember my aunts and my grandmother just like judging me and saying like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to play with the other kids? Like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I just don't want to be around. Like I was very young and very aware of myself. And I was like, I don't want to be around that kind of energy, like those kinds of people. So I was always like ridiculed for that. Yeah. I totally understand. And I did the same thing, yeah. but I didn't play video games because we didn't have anything like that. Yeah. I didn't have a phone until I was 14 and I had to buy it for myself. Like we did, like we didn't have all of these tech things so I did go outside and I would clean the river I would <laughs> I would uh pick leeches out of the river yeah. and examine them and like I would do stuff like that <laughs> yeah but yeah I wouldn't hang out with the other kids too yeah so this is like super interesting and I just want to I just want to say something that may or may not resonate with you for mm-hmm. The future, because this was this was a turning point for me. Yeah, in my healing journey, as soon I let go of the expectation or even the hope to receive an apology, mm. everything changed for me. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is not because I just I don't deserve one, but because expectations are usually connected with an attachment, mm. and this is holding us back from moving forward too. Mm-hmm. So as soon I let go of, like I didn't have contact to my grandparents for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Only the tiniest, like I had to go to a birthday party or I had to send a text message, yeah, happy birthday, whatever, or mm-hmm. Merry Christmas um, to kind of keep the family peace. But I, mm-hmm. I also wanted to hear, oh, we are sorry for what we are doing. Mm-hmm. But they still think they didn't do that. Right. They still think. Yeah. That. But I was the person who changed everything around the perception and the reception of what they've done in my healing yeah. journey. And I let go of what I want it to look like when I heal. Mm-hmm. And just about a week ago, I received a, the most genuine and sincere apology from my mom. And I was, I almost fell off my chair and I was like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I never expected it. I didn't want it anymore, but yeah. now I received it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have contact with my grandparents and we're, we're good. Yeah. Everything forgiven, but it took 
yeah a lot <laughs> yeah yeah so let's talk a little bit um about yeah your journey out of it and how you actually took steps to change this whole paradigm you were trapped in and and getting out of it and getting to where you are now because now you're successful you're living <laughs> in it you're yeah. super beautiful can i just say that because <laughs> you're shining you. you're radiating <laughs> you know so yeah so what changed for me was so because i was experiencing so much trauma And when I finally found that I could take control and do something about it, I was in high school. And what I decided to do was instead of here in America, it's four years to graduate high school. And okay. so what I did was I took a, an extra load of classes so that I could graduate in three years instead of four. Mm. So I graduated high school at 17. I moved to Washington, D.C. for college. I went to American University And in college is where I started really finding myself and finding my, my identity and my, and I felt more comfortable like being in my life without someone micromanaging me. You know what I mean? But at yeah. the same time, I was like, I still fell into the pattern of, find, of being in a relationship where someone was essentially doing the same thing to me that my mom was doing. So like mm -hmm. I had to like get out of that and I'm like, oh my God, these patterns like everywhere, like what? And so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> and so then my second year of college, I had like a, spir a spiritual awakening and I started to explore the personal development industry. And like my first personal development book that I read was You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Yeah. Yeah. I read that. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with this, this, this stuff. Like. And so I bought 13 books on Amazon the next day. And, <laughs> and then um, I, it was May by this point. And then I had decided, like, I'm not going back to school because I was studying computer science. I was working a full-time job in the corporate industry in IT. And I was already starting to realize that I hated it. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, this isn't what I want to do. But I've always had an entrepreneur spirit. I've always been ambitious. So when I s discovered the coaching industry, I was like, oh, wow, like I can get paid to make courses and talk about this cool stuff. Like, let me do that. And so I decided to drop out of school in May of 2018. Didn't go back to college. I started my business in August of 2018. And then I quit my full-time job in December of 2018. And I've been solo entrepreneur ever since. <laughs> Woohoo! I love that. This is amazing. Wow, what a journey. Whew. So I don't even know where to start now asking all of these questions. Okay. <laughs> so we have about another, let me see. We have about another like five-ish minutes left. Yeah. So... What do you think is the most empowering thing for you about having your business? Mm. My, the most empowering thing about having my business is definitely the ability to be fully expressed and to express my creative freedom um, <laughs> and to use my voice in a way that's authentic and aligned to the true me and to be accepted by that for the people who are in my community. But really it's just, 
I found that using my voice is actually really healing for me because for so many years I was not able to use it. I wasn't able to express myself. Now I'm just in this place of like really becoming comfortable with expressing myself and having the, the ownership of doing that on my own online platforms. You know what I mean? Where no one can tell me what to do. It's like you're here and you like it or you don't and you leave. You know what I mean? But it's like mine. Yeah. So how do you deal with backlash? Because we are right now, just for the record, it's June 30 that we're recording that. So we're kind of in this 2020 batshit bingo kind of place (laughs) (laughs) where shit's going down for real right now in the world. And so I have you seen, and that's why I really wanted to have you on the show as well, like powerfully speaking up. And there are people coming along and mind you, I'm, I'm sitting there sometimes and just shaking my head and wanting to hide. <laughs> They're coming along with their entitlement and sprinkling it all over the place. And I'm just like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how to, first of all, how do you feel about that? And also what do you do about like backlash that's coming in for real? Yeah. So how I see it is that, the people who are doing that are, are like very unconscious to their own privilege and they don't, they don't, they're so, their white privilege runs so deep that they have the inability to see certain things. So it's almost like I look at them and I'm like, you can't even help what you're doing. Like you just don't, like you're just not there. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's more like a less of an angry thing where it's like, what the fuck? But it's like, "Mm, damn, like you really don't get it. Like that sucks. Right. You know what I mean? Um, It sucks for you because like a lot of people do get it and they're going to stop buying from your brand because you don't get it. But whatever. I've seen so many people being canceled out of them (laughs) because of the (laughs) things that they say. Yeah. But how I handle backlash, I'm very Mm -hmm. vocal. So I have gotten some backlash. Honestly, I just continue to stand in my truth and speak the and speak the facts that I know and also not take a bunch of energy to argue with people either because it's yeah. super pointless especially if someone is so solid on their position around like racism or what they believe like there's no changing their mind you just have to like they come to their own conclusions or however that works you know what I mean right I feel like nonetheless sharing the awareness and speaking out and using your voice is important but when it comes to the backlash and stuff like it's like literally no use in responding and and arguing with people do you use the block button a lot yeah good yeah for sure do you think Mm -hmm. like I would I would really like to know if you don't mind Mm -hmm. do you think there is a way to wake up the people with white privilege that are extreme fragile as well Mm. and not seeing their privilege because I feel like I mean we have so much momentum right now and I feel like those are the last people to convert into the movement they're basically the ones that we have to track along on their hair (laughs) I feel like that's gonna be like the, the but I do believe we have to track them along at some point. Yeah. And sometimes, 
in some conversations, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's basically like at the point where you and me, we are so perfectionist and so OCD, but we don't know. And people come and they're like, oh my God, you're doing all of these things. And we would be like, no, it has to be perfect. It has, yeah. you know, like being not aware of our OCD and perfectionism. Yeah. Like, I think they're at that point. Mm -hmm. But how are you going to convert them at least to, I don't know, to wake up a little bit or yeah. see it? Or I think the biggest thing when it comes to that is the continuation of call-out culture. Because the more mm -hmm. people that keep getting called out, the more different bad opinions that keep getting exposed, the more people are going to be in the face of their own lack of consciousness around these issues so the more that more people keep getting called out and it keeps being brought to light I really feel like that's what's gonna like let people know like hey this isn't like a set a momentary movement like this is a lifetime movement and more people are awake now and the conversation's not gonna stop so like eventually you're gonna have to be in on the conversation hmm interesting see I feel that there will be a big part of those very fragile people that are going to hermit because they're being mm -hmm. called out all the time that because too. they feel shamed and blamed and shame and blame as a tool that can work well, mm -hmm. but also that's going to make them uh, mm -hmm. refrain from looking at it even more. Right. So I feel like maybe I'm all mm. with you. I'm all with yeah. you. They got to be called out. They like, we can't, put them into candy and, and cuttoning <laughs> them up. I'm all with yeah. you. I feel like we got to punch it in them, in their faces. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> now recorded. So I can't take it back. Uh, it is what it is. We, like, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> I feel like it needs to be straight in their face. But I, f I also feel like sometimes that we, we got to find a way to do that without the shame and I'm not trying to save their faces. I'm trying right. to be more approachable and still punch mm -hmm. them. Right. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, instead of me running up to you and yelling at you before I punch you, let me just walk up to you straight in your face and punch you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, knock them out. <laughs> it <was> the truth. <laughs> Maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like, you know, personally, I feel like books like Me and White Supremacy from Leila Saad or um, How to Be an Anti-Racist from Ibram. Oh, I'm not really good with names. Sorry, do you know his full name? Ibram I X. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but I know who you're talking about. Uh, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to deliver the name in the show notes. Uh, I'm really bad with remembering all the names. But those type of books should be in primary school right mm -hmm. they should be read like the way that in germany we have to read mein kampf in fifth grade or sixth grade mm -hmm. and we are like 11 or 12 by that age mm -hmm. um and interpreted like mein kampf is a book from hitler mm -hmm. so we're reading this book not to actually learn how to do it but to learn yeah. how to not do it and interpret yeah. how manipulation works and and to see it and to learn to react against it, basically. Mm -hmm. The same way this should be integrated in across cultures. Like, I think also in Germany, we definitely need anti-racist books. 
and mm-hmm. we need to learn the subtle way of racism because yeah. racism in Germany is different, but it is there. So yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. We gotta we gotta push forward. That's for sure. Yep, one hundred percent. I have two more questions, and they are pretty fast, and then we can wrap it all up. Cool. All right, ready? Yes. But they're very different because I asked them everyone. But what does efficiency mean to you? It means like being able to do things quickly in the easiest and simplest way. Yes. And if you had to push the reset button, so let's say Mercury goes really shit on us and you have to push the reset <laughs> button, but you keep all of the knowledge that you have, which three things would you keep doing again and again to get back to success? Mm. Live streams, consistent content creation, and mindset work, energy and mindset work. Yes. Fallon, thank you so, 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 so much for being on this show and for bringing all of your energy and the beautiful smile and sharing your deepest truths. Like the story is incredible, but needs to be heard for people to get through this as well. So thank you so much. Of course. Please tell everyone where they can find you and what they can find there. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Fallon Satterfield, F-A-L-Y-N-S-A-T-T-E-E-R-F-I-E-L-D. Long name. Same thing on Facebook, Fallon Satterfield. And you can find all things conscious content creation, vibrational marketing, alchemy, business, multidimensional business strategy. I talk about everything. There's blue, there's practical, there's everything. So, yep. I love it. And folks, you know exactly, you can easily click the link below. You find all of these links in our show notes. You do not have to remember that, how to spell the name. I mean, it would be (laughs) nice of you, uh, but it's easier to just go down in the show notes and click the link. And um, do go follow Felon. You really, really want to see what she's doing, what she's talking about, and just get some energy from her and learn what she's doing because it's really, 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 really amazing. So don't miss out on following her and subscribing to this podcast. The name is Efficiency on Demand. I think that's what it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.